This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 7. This is Writing Excuses, how to describe through the lens of a third-person narrator. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Marianne. And I'm Wesley. And here we go. So, third person is what I trained on, right? I've done some first person, but third person is still my favorite. Um, I come back, I do first person now, and then it's good for some some exploration of different things. But I love a really solid third, third person narrative. How do you let a character's thoughts and feelings come out when you're describing I ask this question because you're going to do a lot of description, listeners, and description is one of those things that can easily get bogged down, right? You can easily just lose your sense of character and things because you've got a page of description. I found that if you can let the voice of the character come through the way to describe the world around them, you can both characterize and get setting going. And I think it's a skill that is very useful, particularly for fantasy and science fiction writers, to learn because you're going to be describing lots of weird stuff. So I actually describe more normal things, even Mm -hmm. when I'm writing science fiction. So, for example, um, in my most recent book, The Stars Change, the humans have gotten together. They're trying to stop an attack on the alien compound. But because my characters are South Asian, and it's the middle of the night, and they're planning. They have to stop and, like, make samosas because that is what you would do. That is what my family would do is we would <laughs> – like, you have to eat to fuel what you're doing. And so so I tend to have my characters do a lot of domestic tasks, even in the middle of an action-adventure kind of thing. Mm. And I think in those domestic tasks – you can show a lot of character. Like if you are washing dishes and your hand is shaking as you are putting down the glass, like that indicates something about your mental state, for example. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if my family were doing the same thing, we would be making pimento cheese sandwiches, mm-hmm. which other people find vile. But it, it is that that idea of getting very specific with the things that the character notices and I actually want to hark back to something that Wesley said in uh, in, episode, in in January about how there's a very thin line between third person and first person. If you're writing third person with with what we call um, an emotionally invested narrator, where the narrator is very tight, tight third person, you're going to be using a lot of the same tricks that you are that you use in first person. So I mean, I was, I was about to say that. Um... Sorry, <laughs> oh, you totally stole my thunder. There. But, uh, <laughs> what I was trying to say, what I was going to say, is um, really I tend to marry my my point of view with my uh-huh. with my narrator. And what happens is the point of view doesn't they don't notice everything. So what you want to focus on is what that person sees. So when you're doing description, mm-hmm. you know that that specific person might see certain things, but completely miss other things, and that's. Yeah something that you want to like kind of play with when you, when you do when you narrate. Yeah, Dan all often has said, and it's one of the things that he said that I find very brilliant is you describe the small things mm-hmm. and let them imagine the large things, which works very well. And the small things are going to be very individual to what you're going to see um, that other people wouldn't or things that everyone else would notice that your character glosses over. Right. Yeah, the the going back to puppetry, the the 
thing we use is focus indicates thought. And it's not just what your character sees, but the sounds that they hear. Uh, like when we were waiting to record this episode, we, the podcasters, had all failed to notice that the air conditioner was still running, but our audio engineer totally noticed that the air conditioner was still running. <laughs> and then once he points it out, we're like, oh, yeah, that is making a really horrible yes. sound. Oh, yeah. But it's that kind of thing that you're looking for, uh, the specificity of character. Yes. Everyone should write a story about our audio engineer. Yes. <laughs> because he's going to notice all kinds of cool things. Yeah. Like, like, for example, um, I, saw, I have a five-month-old baby. And I have, like, Superman hearing now when it comes to babies crying. Like, I can hear a baby cry from 100 yards away. Mm-hmm. But everything else is a complete, like, a buzz to me. But when I hear when, when there's a baby crying, I, I, I hear it right away. And interestingly, my kids are older. They're seven and nine. And now when I hear a baby crying from the apartment building next door, I hear it. I still hear it in a way that I never did before I was a parent. But then I have this immediate wash of relief. Like, <laughs> not my problem. I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, that's best at family events where you're like crying. Oh, it's not mine. <laughs> it's not mine. Well, you know, interesting uh, along those lines, when I need to get my parents' attention now, mm-hmm. I have to use their first names because they no longer hear mom and dad as oh, being me. Right. Like when, when we are out, the, the, you know, like, dad, dad, Ken. What? <laughs> I've seen you do that yeah. with him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had a concussion from surfing. <laughs> yes. Well, that's another story. Yes. <laughs> And this is, I'm thinking about, you know, when we talk about these little details, this is, I think, when you have the exercise where you have the students, like, try and include every sense in a scene, you know, what do you see, what do you smell, taste, hear, et cetera. And I think that's really useful for thinking about third-person observational details. Yeah, um, I love that And one. again, like, people are going to notice different things. They're going to hear different things. And also, I think, how long they notice something. This is... This is a thing that I will see people fall down on in third person a lot, that there is a a small telling detail, which is a great detail, but they spend too much time lovingly describing Mm. it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, this this is the equivalent of your character going and standing in front of the thing and staring at it, because that's how much time your reader is spending with the thing. And if if that's what you want, awesome. But if it's not— Right. then you've just completely misled us. No, this is an awesome point because even with somebody who really knows something, like the, let's just say you hear a bird calling in the mm-hmm. next room, right? And one character's like, oh, there's a bird squawking. And another character says, oh, that sounds like a macaw. That alone is enough to give us the characterization. If you go on for a paragraph about what a macaw sounds like versus what you know other birds might sound like, then you have, you've overemphasized this point to the point that it loses its meaning and wraps around to something else. And, and I, one thing to add to that is, like, usually when you describe a, a scene or a setting or something, you want to use the senses, you know, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the tastes. But if you use, like, three senses, then you, you've you built that yeah. description. If you start using all four or five, then you're you're really overdoing it because nobody actually looks at something and goes, you know, how does everything— Look, I'm sound. going to lick this vase. I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rub it really gently and see how it feels. I also think you need to think about the scope of the piece you're telling, right? So if you are starting to write a novel that is going to be war and peace length, then you might have room for a paragraph or two of sensory description in your opening. If you're writing a you know 2,000-word short story, right. you, you got to be fast. Do it in half a word if you can. That's right. Um, so— Info dumps, the dreaded info dump, right? 
how do you manage an info dump? And I ask this because I found, well, you, Marianne, mentioned that first person can be much harder. One thing I feel, feel it's easier for mm-hmm. is doing info dumps because I feel if I can set it in a character voice, I can get across all kinds of information while having a fun voice talking about it. How do you get these info dumps in third person? And how do you manage that information? So this is something I have students do exercises about. And I think a lot of it for me is if you can attach it to an emotion, it makes it feel more organic. So for example, let's say I need to get across some piece of cooking information. As I said, I write a lot of domestic things. Mm -hmm. So I need to get across something like that. Well, instead of like putting the recipe on the page, what I have is a mother and daughter having a huge fight in the kitchen about the other things that are going on. And in the midst of it, the mom is yelling at the daughter that you're not chopping the onions small enough. And that is a key piece of information that I'm trying to get across. But it's it's wrapped in emotion. Right? Excellent. And you could you can you know, just to add to that, you can add that to action and dialogue. Mm-hmm. Where if you have, let's say, a block of information you need to convey, you can split that that info dump apart over a course of an action scene. You know, mm-hmm. their, their location, the time of day, that the wind that's blowing, um, the injuries that are happening, you know, you you really can just kind of put that information into the scene and can just kind of just kind of dribble it out over the course of the chapter. Yeah, and it, it's, I think one of the things that you were talking about there is is pairing it with a task. But one of the things that I also want to highlight here is, you know, the, the, the key, piece, key piece of information you were trying to get across is onions need to be diced small. And a lot of times what happens when we're doing the info dump is that we want to give the reader too much information. Mm-hmm. That you can actually give them something very small and very concrete and allow them to build the rest of it. A lot of times we feel like I need to give the entire backstory of how a rocket is made. And really, all you need to know for this particular plot point is that the O rings sometimes fail. It's like that's, but you don't need the entire history of rocketry. And sometimes we get kind of. If caught you up. were Tom Clancy, you would talk about the forging of that O ring and which mm. ship it was put on and the name of. Anyway, save, um, it, save it for the appendix, <laughs> the related books, yeah. the DVD extras. Well, <laughs> say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The dirt Urban Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's, let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Because uh, you're going to tell us about Amberlo. Amberlo, I have been waiting to do this as a book of the week for about a year now. I got to read this in ARC. Uh, it's by Laura Elena Donnelly. It is. I have been so excited about this book. It is a secondary world fantasy, but there's no magic. It is, this is not, it is an alternate universe uh, that feels like a real place. 
It is, there are aspects of it that kind of feel like Weimar Republic Mm -hmm. and also feel very contemporary. Uh, Feels a little bit like the 1920s, but a lot of themes that are, will will ring very, very true to you. And bear in mind, I was like, I read this in 2014. It's an amazing book, Uh, very powerful voice. And she has different points of view, uh, each of which is written in third person, but the voice for them is so compelling and so strong. It's a beautiful book, very powerfully written, and it's a debut novel. I'm so excited to see this book out. Wow. Those debuts that are that good, that just makes you angry, doesn't it? It really does. You're like, ah, man. I know. (laughs) All right. Let's get back to this. Um, And I want to talk about something we call losing viewpoint. Uh, A lot of times in my writing group, my alpha readers, this is a phrase they will commonly use correctly. When my, I've had a long scene of dialogue or something like this, and they're like, I really lost viewpoint in this. I don't know who we're seeing this through. How do you deal with that? Is it a problem? Do you, do you think it's one? Or yeah, how, how do you deal with losing viewpoint? I, I find that that happens when I forget about what my character's emotional investment in, in the, is in the scene, particularly when I'm in a situation where my character is not necessarily the major actor. Mm. Um, and and when that happens, I have to go back and look at what they have at stake in the scene um, and and think about what is their attitude to this, how are they receiving this information, and make sure that I put in some um, some some kind of internal motivation, some uh, some free and direct speech often will be very handy for conveying what a character's attitude is towards a thing and, and keeping that rooted in their. Just as a reminder, free and direct speech. Oh, sorry. Free and direct speech, uh, popularized by Jane Austen, um, is where you take a character's thoughts and you insert them in the narration in third person. Yeah. You don't do a highlighted, italicized or whatever. I, I, you know, what's going on going on with me? It's more along the lines of what was going on with her. I think, you know, for me, I don't tend to lose viewpoint in the kind of way Mary Robinette's talking about. Um, I think because of the way I write, I, I I write in layers. So I tend to first first lay down dialogue, and then I go back in and fill in setting and fill in, you know. So like I, I'm sort of like thickening the scene as I go. I'm actually a very lazy writer, and so like I like I throw down the bones first, everything I care about, and then I have to kind of make myself go back in and put the flesh on. Um, but I do sometimes have viewpoint issues. Usually for me, those are just carelessness. Honestly, it's I'm not paying attention to POV and I've kind of slid around between first and third, and it's a, a pretty straightforward editing thing to go and fix it. I mean, a lot of times, uh, for me, it's, it's structure. And if, if I'm losing the viewpoint, I tend to kind of like pull back and go, what am I trying to convey in the scene? What thoughts do I want the reader to know? Mm. And then I, then it's, it's a matter of kind of cutting off the fat because, mm. you know, when you, when, you, when you have too much in there— that's when you start muddling the viewpoint. Okay. So a different question. It's a little off topic, but it's something I wanted to cover before mm. we leave talking about third person. How do you keep information from the reader without feeling like you are cheating? Oh, sorry. It drives me crazy. You've read these books. You, they, they drive you crazy too. It, it's The main character mm. knows something. And they're it's like, but person. I won't think about it yes. now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, ugh. 
Um, the Because I had to do this in Valor and Vanity, which was a heist novel, and my character knew about the heist, but I needed to hold information back. And I didn't, and I wanted readers to be able to go back and see me being honest if they read it again. So what I did was I used focus, and I made mm. sure that in any scene where she would have been thinking about the thing, that there was something else that drew her attention so that that other thing was more compelling. Um, occasionally, you can get away with the character beginning to think about something and being interrupted, but if you do it too often and if the interruption is not really compelling— yeah. Um, the readers get annoyed. They and, get annoyed. And rightfully so. And, and they can see what you're doing. So I, I do this a lot, and I really like this this thing. <laughs> so, for um, so like example, um, in The Rise of Io, um, I have a very big twist in, in, in the middle. And for me, the character, when I'm in the character's point of view, he's not thinking of, you know— the twist at the end, he's thinking, I need to do this now. I need to do that now. And this is why it's important. So you can think about what he needs to do right in front of him without giving away his true intention at the very end. And that's kind of what I focus on is, you know, we all think of the big picture, but really when we're in the in the moment, we're thinking about what our tasks are ahead of us. And that's kind of what I focus on. Yeah, I went one time that I did it, I went back and forth on it because I felt like I'm, I was cheating, right? Mm. And I, I still tell readers, I think I was cheating. How I did it was uh, what the character was contemplating was their own death. They knew a twist was coming that would probably lead to them dying. And every time it came up, like, I can't focus on that right now. I have to do everything else I can to make sure this thing I'm thinking about doesn't happen. But then it's kind of a, what was this thing you're planning? And it went on long enough that I worry it got frustrating. Uh, but that is one time that I used it. So I, there are two things I wanted to mention. One is um, I totally want to echo what, what Mary said about the emotional truth and voice. But but I think sometimes what you have is a character who this critical piece of information is so background for them that they – the, like it's just part of the world they live in and it may be something that is very surprising to the reader and I'm thinking of something like Ancillary Justice, mm. right? Where the author was really using the reader's assumptions um, to create a twist and a surprise that we didn't see coming um, but which of course made sense that it wouldn't have been an issue for the protagonist, right? So I thought that was very smart and, you know, it, it doesn't come up all that often but if you can pull it off, it's great. Um, for me, I tend to, I admit, I do a lot of uh, jumping around in both multiple third-person limited viewpoints and jumping around in time. So like in any given short story, I may be, you know, three months in the past and then jumping into the future and so on. And I feel like that is a really useful way to manage revelation of information. So two other things that I wanted to tag onto that is um, that that a lot of times uh, just the, the choice to withhold the information is the wrong choice. Mm -hmm. That you get much more compelling narrative from having your character actually think about that, that thing directly. To piggyback on that, one of the best examples, I often have used it on the podcast, is Dune. Where when yeah. someone is a traitor and planning something, Dune is omniscient. Herbert just tells you, this person is planning to betray them. Now squirm while you watch everyone else interact with this person. Yeah. A lot of times having information is really interesting. The other thing that you can do is have your character think about their plan. 
but have a different plan that that is the one that you actually execute. You know, that that so you're surprising plot twists that, oh, and then they're able to do this thing. And it's like, that's so cool, but I can't have them think about that because it's like have them come up with a different plan and save your really cool plan for the contingency that they have to execute when things go horribly, horribly wrong. It's nice. It's well, a really fun thing. So it has to be an like they have to think about the plan, but it has to be an honest plan. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so the, a plot twist doesn't work if no one sees it coming. So the, the reader should be able to look at that plot twist and go, oh, my goodness. Mm. Throughout the entire book, she was telling me she was going to do this, and I just never saw it. Mm-hmm. That's right. the best murder mysteries, yeah. right? Where you get to the end and you're like, oh, I didn't see it coming, but it makes so much sense. Surprising yet inevitable. That's, yeah. that's the phrase. Uh, we are out of time. Um, Marianne, you were going to uh, give us some homework. Oh, well, I was just going to say that I love Ursula Le Guin's book, Steering the Craft. Um, It's a very short little uh, how-to-write book, and she's got like three chapters with exercises on various variations of third person that I find really helpful. I still, I sign it every semester, and I do them again with my students every semester, and I get something out of it every time. Well, excellent. That is your homework. Go read some Ursula Le Guin. You will... Always find it time well spent, I have found. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.